0: Thank you. So today's topic is Wise Speech, a gateway to freedom for people of color. So on this day, and this comes right from um, what it was uh, put in the announcements with Spirit Rock, is that we will explore wise speech and how it relates to freedom and as is taught in the Noble Eightfold Path and the Five Precepts. And I've mentioned both of those. We will also take an open and compassionate look at our own behaviors around wise speech through the lens of identity and cultural context. And the Buddha was precise in his description of right speech. He defined it as abstinence from false speech, abstinence from malicious speech, abstinence from harsh speech, and abstinence from idle chatter. And the vernacular, this means not lying, not using speech in ways that, dis- that create discord among people, not using swear words or a cynical, hostile, or raised tone of voice, and not engaging in gossip. Reframed in the positive, these guidelines urge us to say only what is true, to speak in ways that promote harmony among people, to use a tone of voice that is pleasing, kind, and gentle, and to speak mindfully in order that our speech is useful and purposeful. That's pretty hard to do. That's a high bar, because we're asking ourselves not to lie, not to swear, not to be cynical, not to be hostile, not to use a raised tone of voice, and not to engage in gossip. And there's probably some more that I haven't even mentioned. And this is why it's a practice. The Buddha said, all that we are is the result of what we have thought. If a man speaks or acts with an evil thought, pain follows him. If a man speaks or acts with a pure thought, happiness follows him like a shadow that never leaves him. And I mentioned this with my partner when we did the exercise earlier. Language is important. And sometimes a word may suggest one meaning and it might mean something different to someone else. Right is one way to interpret how you say correct, and wise is another. So I could say um, right speech, or I could say wise speech. And I find by using the word wise, it's like a goal to achieve, something to practice and look towards. May I be wise in my speech. May I be wise through my actions that are based on my thoughts. May I be wise in how I respond and as I listen to what you're saying. May I be wise in my speech. As I mentioned earlier, wise speech is a mindfulness practice. And by undertaking this practice, we commit to a greater awareness of our body, mind, and emotions. Mindfulness makes it possible to recognize what we're about to say before we say it. And it offers us the freedom to choose when to speak, what to say, and how to say it. And with this practice, we see that the heart is grown from which our speech grows we learn to restrain our speech in moments of anger, hostility, or confusion, and over time, to train the heart to more frequently incline towards a wholesome state such as love, kindness, and empathy. Now, with this practice, learning to restrain our speech in moments of anger and hostility or confusion I think are some of the most challenging, challenging experiences. I also think it's challenging when we're feeling good and how to articulate that because some of us may not be comfortable with feelings of joy or happiness. But when it comes to anger and hostility, it's easy to snap and go there because in some ways what we're doing is defending against being vulnerable. And someone noticing that what you said hurt me. And can you say, this hurts right now and I I can't have a conversation. Sometimes that's really hard to do. So we might shut down. We might lash out. We might cuss you out. We might roll our eyes. And we still might roll our eyes and do everything else as well. (laughs) We might not say anything and then just swallow it, which is a form of harming ourselves because it hurts. And where does it go when we swallow it? it, What's the release? How does it shift? How do we shift and change energy that's so hostile to ourselves and even to others? And I believe that all of us are not intentionally trying to hurt someone else. That's not who we are. I know that's not how I was raised. My grandmother would roll over in her grave so I can imagine for many of you that's not how you're raised. We we're raised to be kind, to be considerate, to not cause harm. And yet there are the moments and the times where all the practice goes out the window. And it's like, "Oh my god, did I just say what I said?" And then you see the words go out and you're like, "Wait, can I pull them back?" And you know, it's like, "Can please play rewind?" Let me pull those back. Let me, oh my God. And then the person's reaction, you know, you hurt them. Even if they're saying, I'm fine. Their body language, their facial gestures, their tone of voice, you have just done some damage and not intentionally. And it does. And when I use the word damage, it may seem harsh, but I'm not trying to be harsh. But I know that's how I experience when I hurt someone. I have caused damage. And then it's like, can I make this up? Can I make this right? Can I make this better? Can I make you feel better? Sorry is not enough. So to say I'm sorry in that moment, I think it's like putting salt on the moon. It's like, you know what? Maybe I just need to be quiet right now. So this is a practice. It is an ongoing practice. The teaching about why speech assumes imperfection. Our mistakes are a vital part of our learning, and it is such a painful part of the learning. Can I get this without making a mistake, please? Can I not put my foot in my mouth again? And then as I open it to speak again, my foot goes further in, and then I'm like, you know what, I'll just close it. Is there another way to do this? So these mistakes hurt, but I bet and guarantee, okay, I don't bet, but I guarantee that for some of us, those kind of mistakes are a teaching tool to say, oh, I did this before. I don't want to do this again. How can I do this different? And when you don't have choices and you don't have tools, you do it again. Unfortunately or fortunately, We need to lie, exaggerate, embellish, use harsh and aggressive speech, engage in useless banter, speak at inappropriate times in order to experience how using speech in these ways creates tension in the body, agitation in the mind, and remorse in the heart. We also discover how unskillful speech degrades personal relationships and ultimately diminishes the possibility of peace in our world. It starts with me. It starts with us. (sighs) Listening is also very important. Webster Dictionary defines listening as paying attention to sound and to hear with thoughtful attention. And the exercise we just did recently, that was the goal, was to pay attention. And not just to sound, to the body language, to the facial gestures, to the energy the energy feel that you cultivated in sharing with this person, in listening to this person. So to hear with thoughtful attention is not just my body is present, to hear you with thoughtful attention it's also my mind, that right now I am focused on you. It is also my heart, that I am opening my heart and softening it so that I am receptive and a receptacle for the energy and the exchange that we are having in this moment. And it can be, as someone said, vulnerable and it can also be very intimate and also can be very scary and frightening because it's not something we do all the time. This type of listening is what Thich Nhat Hahn calls deep listening. And physician Rachel Naomi Raymond calls it generous listening. And uh, Joan Halifax calls listening from the heart. And when the and the Quakers call it devout listening. So like any other mindfulness practice, deep listening, is both a skill and a practice. Um, In February of this year, Thich Nhat Hanh came out with a new version of mindfulness trainings, 14 mindfulness trainings that he did at the Great Order Nation Ceremony at Plum Village. And he said that these four mindfulness trainings help us cultivate concentration and insight which free us from fear and the illusion of a separate self. The ninth mindfulness training is on truth and loving speech. And this is what he said aware that words can create happiness or suffering, we are committed to learning to speak truthfully, lovingly, and constructively. We will only use words that inspire joy, confidence, and hope, as well as promote reconciliation and peace in ourselves and among people. That's pretty challenging when you're upset and you're not hearing each other. We will speak and listen in a way that can help ourselves and others to transform suffering and see the way out of difficult situations. So, a question then is, is this the time to speak? It Would it be more appropriate to be quiet right now? We are determined not to say untruthful things for the sake of personal interests or to impress people nor to utter words that might cause division or hatred. So this is a constant monitoring and how do you do that in the midst of daily life as you're doing everything Mm -hmm. else? We will protect the joy and harmony of our Sangha by refraining from speaking about the faults of another person in their absence Mm -hmm. and always ask ourselves whether our perceptions are correct. So whether we're in a sangha, like here, it can be in our relationships with our partners, it can be in our families, it can be in our work settings. Are we speaking to share information, to teach, to help a life-threatening situation where you have to be clear, firm, direct, and and you don't need a lot of words to say what you need to say? Is your intention reflected in the words you use and then consequently in your actions? We will speak only with the intention to understand and help transform the situation. We will not spread rumors, nor criticize, or condemn things of which we are not sure. We will do our best to speak out about situations of injustice, even when doing so may make difficulties for us or threaten our safety. That's a hard one. I know and culturally and historically, for many of us in the African-American community, if we spoke out, we died. It was that simple. It wasn't an option. Whether it was about the injustice that was happening in front of you to a family member, or whether it was the way you were being spoken to, or the way your child was taken away from you, you speak out, you die. And I can imagine for some other communities, That, given some of the violent histories that we've come through and we've been subjugated to through colonialism and neocolonialism, some of those same truths might be hold true, might also be true. Martin Luther King Jr. said, I believed that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. This is why right, temporarily defeated, is stronger than evil triumphant. Again, this practice is very challenging. And it's an honoring practice because honoring and honorable, not only are we doing it for ourselves, and I keep coming back to this, but we do it for others. If we have children in our families, you know we're always modeling, we're always correcting, we're always intervening, and sometimes our actions speak louder than words. And uh, most recently, for example, my daughter and grandchildren came to visit. And my granddaughter is 17, and she's like, Nana, you're the most, my most favorite um, person in the family next to my mother, but you come first. And I'm like, okay, so what does she want? <laughs> and I try not to go there, but you know how our kids can be that way. Or we had a conversation, and she's like, well, I'm really upset with you because you hurt my feelings. And I'm like... And I'm upset as well because you hurt mine. So what are we going to do about this? And I asked, well, can we compromise? Is this all my fault? Yes. None of it's your fault? No. I said, you didn't have anything to do with the conversation? No. I was talking to myself? Yes. (laughs) So then she, (laughs) this is called denial. And she's doing this with the whole smile on her face because she knows she's part of this. Then she looks at me and she's like, okay, Nana. Maybe we could have done it differently." And I'm like, yeah, I was really upset and I didn't think about some of what I said. And she's like, I just wanted to get you. And I was like, yeah, I got that. So we were able to have a conversation. Um, And sometimes you just use humor and it can be very effective. Sometimes, like someone said, it doesn't work. And then you're like, oh, but it worked before. It's not working now. This is a different situation. And different circumstances, that person is in a different place. That happened to me with a dear friend of mine, and we were joking, and next thing I know, she was serious, and I thought we were still joking. And then she came back to me later and told me that she was serious at that moment, and that I did not uh, respect that, and she was really hurt, and I was devastated. And I wanted to pedal back and uh, and, and um, say, but, but, but. And I said, you know, you were right. I wasn't paying attention. And thank you for letting me know. And please forgive my insensitivity. And we were done. And I was like, wow. But sometimes people can't do that right away. You know, they hold on to it. Or they come back and bring it back years later. And you're like, What are you talking about? And then that makes them even more upset because you don't even remember what they were upset. We were upset about. But it's important to acknowledge, yes, I wasn't listening. I wasn't paying attention in that moment. And sometimes in a teaching moment, you know that sometimes it's you it's for you to be the bigger person, quote unquote, and say, No, this is yes, I didn't hear you, knowing that this person wasn't able to hear you. Because at that moment, it's not about you being the one to say, you did this, but holding the space for them to be able to express what they need to say. Because sometimes people are, have a real difficult time speaking up because of who you are or what you might represent. And so by giving them this gift of an opportunity, which in some ways feels like it could be hurtful, the person has a chance to find their voice. But that voice can sound like they're lashing out to hurt you and it's really not about you. But if you can hold it in a bigger space, there's a way that there's an exchange of learning for both of you. That's a hard one too. And that's a practice as well. Um... I wanted to say something about the importance of having a forgiveness practice. And we'll talk about it some more later. But a forgiveness practice is not about the other person. It's about you. It's about... Um, not, it's not about condoning, redeeming, pardoning, absolving, excusing, forgetting as in forgive and forget, they're all different forms of forgiving. But this is a, based focusly on the act which has harmed you. So forgiving is about our intention towards the person who's harmed us. But it's also, can we, with our speech, forgive ourselves? Can we have kindness in that moment when we feel like, can the earth swallow us up and I never reappear forever again? Can in this moment I have kindness because this is where it's at? Can I have kindness for the whole situation? Even with uh, recognizing that I hurt this person. So the practice of forgiveness about engaging with the person, this human being who did the harm, is not necessarily the harmful act or the injurious behavior itself. Again, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says Forgiveness does not mean ignoring what has been done or putting a false label or on an evil act. It means, rather, that the evil act no longer remains as a barrier to the relationship. That's a tall order. Can we do that? Can we hold ourselves and hold the context in a way that's bigger than the situation itself? What is the gift that I can learn from this experience where we're both hurting. So, I'd like to share three acrony- acronyms, and I find that they're very helpful, and um, they all have been. I've learned them from different teachers over the years. The first one is called RAIN. That's the way it sounds, R-A-I-N. RAIN means recognize. A is accept. I is investigate. And N is not attachment. So as I am having this conversation, as someone has hurt me, I recognize that I've been hurt. I accept it, I investigate, well, was this really about me? Is there some miscommunication? Is there a way that I'm not hearing them? Or is there something I said? Or maybe it's about them. Or maybe it's the situation and we both don't have enough information. And then N, non-attachment. Can I not be attached to this? And then there's stop. Just the word stop. And the acronym is, the first letter is S, which is stop. Just stop right now in this moment. Take a breath, a full deep breath. And notice, okay, this is really a hard conversation. I My intention is to be as clear as possible and not to cause harm. I need to be clear, I need to be quick, and I need to get this done. Observe my body sensations. My heart is beating fast. My hands are sweating. I'm really hoping that this gets through. I feel like I'm going to pass out. I really need to say what I need to say. And then the P, proceed. Just go on. And you can do this anywhere. I, I use this example like, for example, when you drive, you're at a red light. You have to stop. You can just do this very quickly. By the time you finish this scan... The lights changed and you moved on. You can do this when you're having a conversation. You can do this when you're having a conversation with yourself. I have to do a presentation next week in front of a group of people, and I have to do a PowerPoint, and I have never done a PowerPoint. you think I would have. I've been avoiding them for years. I did the PowerPoint, and a friend of mine came over, and she helped me edit it, and I practiced my presentation in front of her. I know this woman. She's my friend. I had 20 minutes. She's timing me. I'm flubbering all over the place. I know the topic like the back of my hand. I'm talking about mindfulness. How hard is that? 20 minutes later, I'm sweating. I mean, she's applauding. And I'm like, oh, my God, what just happened? So we do that even when it's familiar. We go through what are anxieties and changes that we go through to prepare for something and our self-doubt comes up and we give ourselves a hard time. But we can be kind in the moment. And then wait. Uh, Sylvia Borstein, who's one of the teachers here, came up with this acronym and it's called, Why Am I Talking? (laughs) So wait, do I need to talk right now? Why am I talking? Can I step back and let someone else step forward? Or is there a reason or is it is it necessary in this moment is it timely am i speaking from the heart am i saying what needs to be said and then i might say you know no i don't need to talk i'm just showing off cuz i know this topic and i want people to like me you don't get to that awareness the first time we're running it through our head but there might be some element of that okay so do i really need to speak no Or someone is saying something that's really offensive. No one is speaking. I know I want to speak, but I don't know what to say. My heart is beating like it's going to come out my chest and it's going to fall on the floor. I really need to say something. How do I want to say it? Because I'm already hurt from what was said. So do I want to lash out? Yes. do I want to be ugly? Yes. do I want to hurt your feelings? Yes. Am I going to do all that? Oh, no. So all that goes through my head, and then my, as I'm going through all that, I'm thinking, take a deep breath. OK, now, what is it I want to say? And I may choose, do I, still, I may choose to say it, but do I need to say it in front of everyone? Is this a teaching moment, or is this something I can go to the person and say privately? So I may end up still saying it, which I have in the past, but I will go to say it to them privately which has been just as intense and powerful and big to do as it is to say in in a large group of people. But I've been practicing those um, different, not acronyms, those different practices, and those acronyms are really a great way to get to them quickly. And sometimes you have to make, what is it, split-second decisions and trust that that's what's right. And you know when you do that, it's right because it comes from your gut. You don't think about it. You, I mean, in terms of thinking, you don't think about it. It means you don't hesitate. You know what you need to do and you do it. For example, you, you know, like a mom with a little kid and the child is about to run out. She don't think, she grabs them immediately because instinctively, it's what you need to do. And that's trusting our intuition, not hesitating and moving forward, and moving forward from this place of agency. So when we're talking about wise speech and practicing it, we're also learning how to move from this place of knowing with agency. Let's see. I also mentioned that the when we um, did the precepts earlier, I mentioned that um, wise speech was one of the precepts and I want to go back to it. Aware of the falsehood and deception in the world and the power of living and speaking the truth, I stand in the presence of the ancestors and the earth and future generations and vow to cultivate the ability to listen with clarity and integrity in all I communicate by my words and actions. Aware of the falsehood and deception in the world. I'm also aware of the falsehood and deception within myself. I am also aware of the falsehood and deception in my relationships. I am also aware of the falsehood and deception in the agency that I work for and the administration. And the power of living and speaking the truth. I can't remember who said, um, and I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> speak the truth and it should set you free. Again, it's about timing. The power of living and speaking the truth, we've seen it over and over and over, not only historically, but even currently. You can. I've seen... Um, Quiet demonstrations with lots of people and no one seeing anything and the power of the unspoken word to send a message is resonated so strongly, and no one has said a word that is is a practice of wise speech. There are times when I remember um reading some of the things that uh Dr. King talked about earlier when back in the late 50s and the early 60s, and his actions, and the way he did what he did in terms of helping support people galvanizing around marches. Although those weren't in silence, there was a place that he came from where he held for the community and the world. This, too, is love. This, too, is revolution. This, too, is freedom. So when we move and speak from that place that we know is our truth, that is an experience of liberation. That is an experience of freedom because we get an opportunity, this gift that we practice, to model and to to embody it. So it comes through us. Oops. Oops. Now I'd like to share this poem, thank you, Uh, it's called Enlightenment. Forget about enlightenment. Sit down wherever you are and listen to the wind singing in your veins. Feel the love, the longing and the fear in your bones. Open your heart to who you are right now, not who you'd like to be. Not the saint you're striving to become, but the being right there before you, inside you, around you. All of you is holy. you already more or less than whatever you can know. Breathe out, look in, let go. And in the next line of the precept, I stand in the presence of the ancestors and the earth. We all know how important our ancestors are. They're all here with us right now. So I never separate, oh, they're da- over there and I'm here. They're here. You know, when I made, made that comment about um, if I was behaving in a way that was not appropriate, my grandmother would roll over in her grave and jump up and grab me. That's because she watches over me. And I think that for many of us, our ancestors are alive with us. And the earth, when the Buddha became enlightened, his witness is the earth. Who witnesses me? He put his hand on the earth and said, the earth is my witness. When we walk, our feet are on the earth. The earth is our witness. The earth holds the bloodshed of all the suffering of all the people who ever lived in this country, on this land. This earth is our witness. And to honor this is part of, not only for wise speech, but the integrity of who we are, not only as a race of people, but who we are as a person. The earth is our witness. And every single time we move and step, she witnesses us. And future generations, for most of us, we're like mid-50s and over, or not. I'm not going to make that assumption. So who do we leave our legacy for? What are, what are our reasons for doing what we're doing? Why are we sitting in this room? It's not just for ourselves. I can't imagine it's just for ourselves. It's for those who come after us. It's for those who are in our lives. It's for those that we come in contact. It's for those patients we see. It's for those clients who come to us for help. It's for the consultant work that we do with our clients who want our assistance. We move forward for all future generations so that the world is better for them and so that the earth may finally have peace. And we vow, you know, for those who are married or those who are in committed relationships or you're doing something where you are committed to, you have vowed, you have vowed that this is so important to you, that this is sacred, that this is something you cultivate and you work on all the time. We vow, we vow to cultivate the ability to listen. First, the ability to listen, not talk, the ability to listen with clarity and integrity in all that I communicate in my words and my actions. That is a tall order. That is our practice. That is cultivating wise speech. And through this practice moment-to-moment, moment, we can have experiences of peace and freedom. Because ultimately, it is the freedom for all beings. And so when I, when I think about this pledge, or I remember it, and I go to each word, each word is so powerful that it can stand on its own. Vow, commit, witness, future generations, stand stand with the ancestors. Awareness, my awareness. It's pretty amazing, it's pretty big. And now my notes are all out of order. (laughs) I have to figure this out. For people who are deaf, how does wise speech work for them? And I think about it because people who are deaf and people who are blind, their senses, they have to cultivate and develop other senses to listen and hear and see differently. So they're working with different emotions, not different emotions, different senses that we take for granted. So then people will be watching your body language even more because those are cues. And when you're sitting there with a client, you can tell if they're interested. You can tell if you have your audience, the eyes glaze over and then people are restless And then people are looking around and then they're talking. And, you know, like when I teach students, I see it all the time. And I'm like, okay, so who's bored? This is when classroom, when I'm dealing with fifth graders, they raise their hands. Then it's like, okay, so who likes to daydream? So who's daydreaming right now? They raise their hand. So who's not interested in the subject? They're not interested. They raise their hand. But what I've done is I've sparked the interest because I've named the behavior. So it's like, okay, I'm not getting in trouble because I'm not listening. You're actually paying attention to me. I'm not getting in trouble because I'm daydreaming. I'm not getting in trouble because I don't remember what you said and you're not asking me a question. So then it's like all of a sudden they're interested. That's reading the body. That's reading the language. That's reading the room. That's also a way of cultivating wise speech. How do I reach you? How do I reach this audience? How do I make the children hear what I have to say and be interested even if it's just 5 minutes? So why speech also helps me with this. It helps me with this practice. Let's see. This is what it happens. I put I should have numbered my pages. So why speech adheres to the truth, it's also gentle, it's not harsh or abusive. Abusive language is a form of lying. First, skillful speech is always truthful. Lying creates discord. Love does not exist without truth. All religions speak about the importance of speaking truthfully. I think all of us understand this as well. It's a very strong statement to say that abusive language is a form of lying because what was what is suggested here is that, is this what you really want to say? And are you using your skills and language to be in a way where a power dynamic? So you're using words as a way to separate you from someone else, or you're using words in a way that someone doesn't understand it, and you know that, and so you're using words in that way. That's intentionally, in some ways, being harmful. You know, when your English is not your first language, I've noticed, like, when I was um, traveling in Cuba, some of the people, of course, Spanish is the first language, but many of the people speak English. And I noticed that some of the people that I was um, on this tour with when they would speak to some of the other people in the, in, who were Spanish-speaking, they would speak louder and slower, and they would change the words they used. And I would just felt myself cringe inside. And I said, if I'm experiencing this, what must it be like for the person who's listening? And I don't know if we even, even take that into consideration when we're speaking to someone and English is not their first language, or we're speaking to a younger person as if they don't understand us. So it's another way of training and reframing our mind to um, really understand how and the many ways that wise speech shows up. Or speech shows up and the ways that we can cultivate wisdom on how to do it differently. And sometimes it happens so quickly and we can come back to it and say, you know what, I just said this. I realize it might have been harmful. Please forgive me. Someone might say, oh, no, it's not a problem. Or someone might just be so surprised and say thank you. Because we don't know how we affect other people. I think our intention is always to be as kind as possible. And that doesn't always happen. So I'd like to end with this quote from Sylvia Forstein. Every moment of mindfulness is a moment of truthfulness, of directed knowing. Direct and clear, true understanding is such a relief. It it inspires determination in practice. And when we see the truth of things, our capacity for loving kindness increases. We see people just the way they are. Struggling to be content, like ourselves, to be happy, like ourselves, and to live gracefully, like ourselves. As we become less judgmental and more tolerant, more able to understand the things and people are the way they are as a result of complex and legitimate causes, our capacity for balanced equanimity increases. May our practice of wise speech continue, and may we experience liberation. And thank you. Thank you for your practice.